Good morning. Good morning. Psalm 142. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Amen. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather around me because of your goodness to me. Our gospel reading is found on pages eight, on eight, 95 and 96 in your pew Bible. Matthew 8, 1 through 4. Matthew 8, 1 through 4. Healing of the lepers. When Jesus came down from, from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. When Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Matthew 8, verse 23 through 27, Jesus calms the storm. When he got into the boat and his disciples followed him, suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. Then the disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Matthew 8, 28-34 the healing of two demoniacs. When he arrived at, at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs were feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drop us out, send us into the herd of pigs. Jesus said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what happened to the demon-possessed men.
When the whole town went out to meet Jesus, when they saw him, they pleaded with them to leave their region. The challenge to us today is how do we find ourselves in the story? When we read the scriptures, we read, frankly, a lot of weird stuff. I'm just being candid. They aren't the kinds of things that we run into in our daily lives or that we experience. And yet somehow, we understand scripture to be the revealed word of God and we understand it to be helpful in teaching and exhorting, clarifying, developing character, giving us guidance and all sorts of things positives that come from reading scripture. We understand it to be the very base from which we learn and grow. We understand it to be instructive in terms of our lives devotionally and in terms of our prayers and the directions those go. It's the foundation of our Christianity. We refer to it as the word, small w, with Jesus being the big W word. It's the most important book among books in all of the world for us. And yet if we read its stories, some of them are pretty bizarre, pretty strange, pretty challenging, even difficult. And so the question is, what kind of work are we willing to do to take those stories and understand them as they're written? And what kind of work are we willing to do to hear the voice of God? Are we willing to read those stories and ask him to speak? Are we willing to look for ourselves and our own experience in the story? So I'll tell you something. I am not accustomed to seeing lepers in daily life. I don't know what it's like to lose nervous sensation in skin and watch it pale and slough. I'm not accustomed to hearing stories of people whose fingers have been gnawed off by rats at night because they could not feel the rat gnawing on their finger. This is leprosy. We know it exists. It's a third world thing. It's almost gone, thank goodness. It's not extremely common anymore. We hear of leper colonies. We have rumor of these things, but this isn't the daily reality we live in. This isn't part of the world in which we move and live, thank God. But in the culture of Scripture, cultures of Scripture, it's a curse, a deadly curse ultimately for many. A terrible thing because it's understood to be so awful and simultaneously contagious that it requires the removal of one from civilization family, home, society, church, temple, any civic life at all. Total alienation. The only people who might welcome you into their world are other lepers. You know, the strange thing about people with colds and flus is that they don't like hanging out with other people with colds and flus. Misery doesn't love company in this way. 
So can you imagine, at least vicariously, can you put yourself in the place of someone who might have had to have left everything they loved and cared about because they began to show blotches on their skin? And sure enough, it was the dread disease. The priests were the diagnosticians in the day. Somebody had to go to the priest and be declared uncleaned, and then they were banished from the camp, so to speak. And so we're dealing with a story in which we have a challenge. How do we put ourselves in this story? Well, it's a story of healing of one sort or another, isn't it? Jesus, confronted by this leper, makes a bold move. Let's read it again. The leper's statement to him is, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. And Jesus' bold move in following that is to reach out and touch the man. Nobody touched an untouchable. I am willing, he said, be clean. Now, was it the words? Was it the touch? Was it the love? Was it the energy? What was it that healed the man? I don't know. But immediately he was clean. He was free. He was no longer going to be an outcast. All he had to do now was keep his mouth shut, which Jesus asked him to do, which was impossible. I mean, how do you have a disease that isolating and then not have it and keep your mouth shut about it? I don't know. One day I was just walking through the, the desert and boom, my skin was clear. I tell you, that desert air is really good for you. That desert sun really works miracles. What do you say when you've been healed? So let's try something for a minute. Let's ask ourselves if we've ever been healed. I've never had life-threatening skin diseases, but I do remember getting acne rather bad as a teenager. It was frustrating. It was embarrassing. And it was painful. I looked at myself in the mirror and, and what I saw I didn't recognize and I certainly didn't like. And I was very fortunate because uh, my father had connections to all kinds of physicians and knew a good dermatologist in Modesto and my mother was willing to drive me down there and Dr. Trozak, I still remember him and remember his name, Daniel Trozak. Treated me as if I was normal. He didn't look at me funny. He wasn't squeamish about doing the little surgeries on the various lesions that covered my face and chest and back. He prescribed a medication which now we would say was a disaster, tetracycline. We don't use that much anymore, but it was the standard of care in the day. And between his care and drinking lots of water and trying to watch my diet a bit and uh, taking antibiotics faithfully, my skin began to clear. I didn't feel like an outcast. I didn't feel as bad as I had felt. I felt freer. 
Now you can say, well, that's just vanity and teenagers go through this. You can dismiss this story of mine in some way or another. But I am, my testimony to you this morning is that that care and touch and love and healing was significant for me as a teenager. I was freed. This man was taken from a place of being ostracized socially to a place of being redeemed. Have you ever been ostracized socially? Lost a friendship that was precious to you? Had a rumor circulate in a circle of people that ended up making you feel unwelcome as they looked at you and murmured and whispered about you behind your back? Or maybe you're still paranoid and need healing from that. That was a joke, I'm sorry. We all experience these very sad moments where we are not fitting in. We don't belong. We're not part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Can you find yourself in that story? This morning, I'm going to take a chance, a chance on you. I'm going to trust that nobody's going to give me three and a half minutes, let alone 13 minutes, and certainly not 35 minutes worth of story. I'm going to trust, though, that you can give me 30 seconds to three minutes of story. And I am going to ask you to tell me about a time you were healed or about a time that you didn't fit in or were ostracized and you were redeemed. You, got, you, you, you worked through that and found your way back. Anybody have a story? Just a simple story of healing? Help us find our place in this story of Jesus. Eric. Many of you here may remember that uh, almost 12 years ago, this coming August, I was diagnosed with colon cancer. And so that was my first smack in the face with real mortality. And I'm here today to tell you that through agents, human and divine, this many years later, that part is gone. So is a piece of my anatomy. But it's, that's, hey, small price to pay for forward motion. So for that, we praise God. Amen. Boy, you modeled that in every way. I could have given you another two minutes. Wonderful way to use the clock there. And did you hear not just a superficial story of release and healing, but a life-threatening illness that agents, human and divine, was that how you put it? Set you free from. Jesus healed. Other stories. Joanna. So it's been about 22 years since I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I've been cancer-free all these years. And according to doctors that I would never have my own children, and I have two of my own, 
And the only intervention there was God. And they're spectacular. God. They are wonderful. <laughs> so, yes, there's a miracle right there. My health and my children and my husband. Restored to life and restored to wholeness. Amen. Anybody else been healed or restored to a situation from which you had been cast out? An estranged family or... Is there another story? Oh, James. When I was 11 years old, I fell down from the ceiling head down and I was in coma. My head was swollen and I was throwing blood. I went to the hospital only with 40, less than 40 of my heart rate. And the doctor told my mom, this child, life in his God. I can't do anything about it. And my mother told my father, he was very antagonistic of Christianity. And at that time, my father opened his mouth and prayed to God. The next time the doctor came, he said, this, this kid is alive. It is for the glory of God that my father, because of me, become a Christian. And he was the one that sent me to Adventist school. We are not Adventists at all. God has a way of saving my dad through me Amen. and save me too. Amen. Here's a story of healing and restoration. People who did not know that they were friends of God, a man antagonistic to God, prays for a son he loves. Can you hear the tears of the father in that? And in mercy and grace, the son is restored and the father is restored with him, coming to faith and bringing a family. Powerful. Other stories? Thank you. What you've just done is you've taken a biblical story and you've placed yourself in it. Though we don't have leper colonies and lepers, though we're not familiar with the kind of social structure that quarantined and ostracized people, that made spiritual judgments about their status before God as a result of skin conditions, we can read a story of Jesus who had compassion, who healed, who touched, who loved, who spoke grace and mercy into a person's life and restored them to their families and restored them to their world. And you've placed yourself in these stories as you've shared how God has healed you and blessed you and restored you and brought us into a greater place of family. Our next reading was that he got into a boat and his disciples followed him and without warning the winds blew down through these mountains you see here on the cover of your bulletin 
The winds can blow down through here and whip up the water into quite heavy waves. And if ever you've been on a sea or a lake with six-foot waves even, that's quite heavy. It's quite a lot to deal with. These waves get, wh get whipped up and the open boats that the fishermen used could easily be swamped. They, they fished even on this Lake of Galilee, Sea of Galilee as it's known, at great peril. We can relate to this if we live in Michigan or Wisconsin or perhaps uh, Ohio or other places that touch on the Great Lakes. Storms can sink ocean liners on the Great Lakes and many a boat has gone down even though these are not the oceans proper. Winds, ice, storms of all kinds can cause peril on those freshwater seas, so to speak. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he replied, You have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm, and the men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, I'm going to take a minute and just give you some sermonic pieces. We're in Matthew 8, which follows Matthew 7, which follows Matthew 6 and 5. And Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is on the lake. He is at Capernaum, near Capernaum. He is teaching on the hills there. This is where so many things happen. And as he's teaching, Matthew's perspective is kingdom of God and anticipates what will culminate in the ride to Jerusalem on the donkey and the hosannas and the declaration of Christ as king. Everything that's being done would illustrate or fulfill a notion of one who could do great things against the Romans. What does it mean if you can heal by speaking? What kind of power is it that enables you to speak and silence a sort of storm. These are grand powers. I don't know if any of you remember the genie of the lamp in Walt Disney. Little tiny package, great power. It's the line. Jesus speaks. Storm is silent. And everybody's in awe. Who is this? Who is this that even natural things take notice and obey. How do we find ourselves in this story? Maybe we've been in a storm on a lake, literally, or in the ocean. Maybe we've had a near drowning experience or we've been afraid of near down drowning. Maybe we're the kind of people who are so laid back that we're asleep in the boat. There aren't very many of those. It may be that God has blessed you with tremendous faith and you don't fear much of anything. Maybe that's where you find yourself. But none of us can relate well to the idea of someone who could speak and silence a storm. We don't see that. That isn't our experience. 
We've seen storms come and go, winds blow and cease, but it is not our experience that someone could stand up and rebuke the weather and have it change. How do we find ourselves in this story? Have any of you experienced the calming of a storm? We're going to find out. What are the storms in your life that God has spoken into and calmed? Where are those places, those moments of risk or moments of peril where his intervention has been clear? Any of you have stories like that? Margaret? In 2006, my my brother David passed away, and there was a minister in Las Vegas, uh, Pastor George, I don't remember his last name, but he said, Margaret, and it was right before he was headed into the service, and I came in my jeans, and and I was so distraught because my life, um, David was so precious to me and is still, and Pastor George said, Margaret, go to Isaiah 26.3, which says, Thou wilt keep thee in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because uh, ye trusteth in, in thee. And so I applied that personally and went home and just delved into God's word for, you know, evermore after I've always had an incredible draw to the Lord since then and before that time I couldn't sleep I was so I had all these questions and I couldn't rest peacefully but through applying that scripture I was brought peace amen yeah a storm came up on the lake and God silenced it thank you this beautiful woman and I went to college together And I haven't seen her for probably 25, 30 years, something like that. Great to have you here today. Anybody else? Oh, don't look at me like that. I'm not going to hurt you. (laughs) I know this is a terribly threatening thing, but uh, yes. Um, This week, the Lord answered our prayers. We had a quandary with regard to a storage unit out of state, and um, I had to dissolve it, and I didn't know what to do with the things, and I couldn't afford to go back there, and da-da-da, and we were trying to make connections. How are we going to get the things out and not have to pay anymore? And, you know, do I even want these things? So um, called a few people, fell through. My mom says, call Campion Academy. Call the Adventist Academy out there in Colorado. And um, I did. I reached the dean of students immediately. They're going to help us. They, they're going to take the things out of storage and issue us a tax deduction for the things and save a couple of things that I want in the end um, if I go back there in the summer. And they don't even know us. And they answered our call. And it's praise God that you know we, we have an excellent solution for everyone. Amen. So, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. I'm Heidi. Heidi. Heidi just shared with us a story of a storm that's present to her life 
What do you do when you're far away from something, when you can't intervene yourself, when you can't afford to get there for one reason or another, when you have things there or people there that you might care about? Thank you for that. That's, that's powerful. Any other stories? Storms that have been quieted. I was at Hollywood as this resolved, just getting there, but I had been at Fresno Church and I was so angry. I had been asked to be the administrative pastor and I was dealing with committees and trying to do all the right things as I chaired them and trying to get things done and we were losing our pastor and looking for another and I really hoped that the church would select somebody that I was simpatico with that uh, I could feel like I could support and minister. They had uh, initially said they wanted to include us in that process and then shut us out of that process and ended up going a very different direction uh, than the previous pastor and I had been taking the church. And then in working for the, uh, the new pastor chosen, I had been asked to do things that were difficult but doable. And I did have his support. I give him credit. But I could do nothing without multiple points of resistance. Talk about the carpet wars, so-called. I couldn't get the eaves of the church painted. And they needed it. There was so much politicking and so much going on that I ended up, we, a typical board meeting would be this. I would go to the board meeting and say, our, our renovation committee has met and we have decided on these colors for the exterior and for the eaves of the facility. This is the recommendation of our color specialist we've hired and so forth. All the documentation, all the quotes, all the different things. And one of the old timers would pipe up and say, you know, Rodney, didn't we vote about 12 years ago that we had to do X, Y, Z, and it would be some sort of blockade to getting this done. It was unbelievable. So I ended up learning how to document everything. And I ended up, well, reading 12 years worth of minutes, basically. So next time the saint said, didn't we vote about eight years ago? I could say, no, you didn't vote that. You voted this, and here it is. Now, that was a lot of work, and it didn't feel necessary because it was political. It wasn't about taking care of things. It wasn't about the kingdom of God. It was about egos. It was about resistance. It was about infighting. It was about who was the in-group and who wasn't the in-group in terms of power in that place. And I was angry, 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 angry. And a friend of mine invited me to Pine Springs Ranch to a retreat. He said, Greg, it's a two-year process, but I think you're going to find it worth it. I want you to do this. He worked on me for about three months. He said, it's changing my life. So finally, I filled out the application. It wasn't cheap. Uh, and I went on my first retreat to Pine Springs Ranch. And everybody who mentored in that process got to know us, the new group coming in. And they tell me they remember how angry I was. 
But after four days of time alone with God and some prayer and reflection, after four days of godly company and affirmation, four days of some direction, I came home and my wife met me at the door of our house. And she looked at me and she said, Greg, you're a different person. I said, yes, I am. The politics hadn't gone away. My situation was going to change because it was just, I just interviewed and was going to accept the call to Hollywood, to Southern California. So my life was going to change a lot. But in the, one of the worst storms of my career, one of the hardest places to be in, in, in my time, psychologically, as a young man, as somebody who had hopes, as somebody who had invested in that community and worked with another pastor in that community, with all the stuff going on, this storm had brewed up in my life. Should I quit ministry? What should I do? And God sent me to a place where through his word and his friends, the storm got calmed. And my life could be different. And the tools and the experiences, the different things that I gathered from my time of crisis helped me in my ministry since. God knew what to do to prepare me as I moved forward. So God does continue to speak. God does continue to heal. God does continue to move in these events in our lives, the storms, if you will, that rise as we're out on the waters. Our final story is an odd one as well. Jesus crosses over to Gentile territory and meets two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs. I've seen some very interesting depictions of them whatever they looked like, we can be sure that they were scary. I think I've seen homeless people in downtown LA that must look exactly like these two guys looked. But they were so violent that they left no one alone. Everybody who passed by was attacked and assaulted. But when they met Jesus, they shouted, what do you want with the Son of God? Because you see, the demons inside of them were controlling them and knew very well who Jesus was. This is freaky, isn't it? I'm not used to that kind of vision or warfare. I live in it, we all do, but unconsciously, you see, in the Western world, we don't think in terms of spirits. We think in terms of mental health. In the Western world, we don't think in terms of angels and demons. We think in terms of schizophrenia, and lockdown. Jesus sent, at their urging, the demons into pigs, something unclean, and the demons themselves drove the pigs to drowning. I'm not going to spend much time on that exegetically this morning, but I do know that we've all been freed from something. I do know that if we put ourselves in the story, we may not be demon-possessed in the classic and sort of exaggerated, if you will, not exaggerated, but um, 
obvious way these two were. But the demons, if you will, of greed, anger, vengeance, hatred, lust, drugs and alcohol consumption to excess, addiction, every kind of addiction. These demons live on our shoulders and whisper into our ears. Many of us are not free, even though we long to be. We found ourselves trapped. Any stories of freedom? Have there been any demons vanished from your lives? Anything you've been trapped by but have found freedom in Christ in now? Has God entered anything you've been stuck in and set you free? I'm, in, I'm interested. It doesn't have to be a highly personal story. If you've got a brother you're kind of mad at, tell a story on your brother. Any stories of freedom? We're done telling stories today. Oh, I see one. Okay. When I was a kid, my parents divorced, and I was really mad at my dad. And then um, in high school, actually, um, I wrote a letter to the lady that broke up my parents' marriage. And by that time, little did I know that they had broken up. But I, once I found out that they had broken up, I sort of said, it serves you right. <laughs> you know, you broke this family up. Too bad for you, haha. And then it turns out, you know, my dad's been in other relationships since, and he's finally happy, I think. So um, I was really angry for a while. We moved from Chicago, we moved to here, and I was sort of upset. But over time, once I found out that my dad really wasn't the right type of parent someone needed, or what I needed, I was very relieved to find out we did go our separate ways, and we can be friends now. But for a time, I was really angry. Thank you. Many of, us, many of us are prisoners of our perceptions or our emotions surrounding stories that involve our families. I saw uh, T.D. Jakes recently preaching on uh, a sermon on 28 years. I think he was referencing the Pool of Bethesda, but he was asking, what's worth 28 years of your life? What's holding you back? What? what memory, what anger, what peace could you possibly find so worthwhile that it would shut down your life for 28 years? You know, what terrible thing happened to you? And there are terrible things. Terrible. Maybe you suffered awful neglect as a child. Maybe you had a parent who pitted you against the other parent and manipulated you and used you. 
Maybe you had a relative or a friend of the family that molested you, that didn't respect you, that hurt you. Maybe you had a teacher that was, you were invisible to. Who knows what your injury and your pain may be? But given the grace of Jesus Christ, what is worth letting that shut down your life 28 years for? Not that you have to psychologically just say, oh, it's, it's past, it's done, I don't need to deal with it. You need to deal with it. Jesus needs to bring you healing. But in what way can you be set free if you were to give him the demons in your life, those things that tell you, sit on your shoulder and say, you're not worthwhile. You're not any good. You're stuck forever because of what happened to you when you were six or nine or 12 or 15 or 22. Nobody is going to like or respect you because you've been divorced once, twice, three, four times, whatever it is. And the one you're living with now is not your husband or your wife. What is it that God is going to free you from? What has he freed you from? You see, when Jesus spoke to those men and said, as you wish, or spoke to the demons more accurately and said, okay, go to the pigs, they did. And sanity instantly returned to these men. They were in once again their right minds, their true selves. You see, what the grace of Jesus Christ does when we meet him and when we let his story become our story and our story become his story and we find ourselves in him, when that happens, we are free. Because you can't be who you are unless you were grounded in the one who gave you life, who created you and made you and loved you and redeemed you and saved you. And life is messy. We all have bad stories. We have bad parent stories or grandparent stories or really scary families in some cases. We all have educational and life situational and lost friendship and a cousin who says bad things about us to everybody else and we get looked at funny at the family reunion. We've all made our mistakes. Jesus is the one who stands before the messiest of us and confronts that which holds us captive and releases us. Can we find ourselves in that story? Jesus, we thank you for these scriptures. We thank you that as odd as some of these stories are given our context and given our history, given our culture and the age in which we live, you still speak. We can find ourselves in these stories. Your story can become our story. We can be free. We can live a life based on who you created us to be, who you call us to be. We're so thankful. And now as we recognize your lordship in our lives as we turn over to you our tithes and our offerings as we celebrate this act of worship as we thank you for the freedom that is and the freedom that's coming 
as we let go because you're freeing us now. We ask for your blessing and your grace. Amen. May the Lord our God grant you solace in Jesus Christ and healing and hope and peace because he's one who speaks leprosy away. By his word silences storms and at mere word of consent sends demons scrambling. And so, Lord, make us free.